I want to uh, start a brand new mini-series with you today. It's called Big Steps. We'll look at this over the next few weeks. And so today is Big Steps 1. Um, and you'll find message notes on the app and online as well. Uh, if you click on the media button and find the Frankston uh, weekly message, it will bring up notes for you, or you can take your own. If you want to find John chapter 3 with me, if you want to follow this in your Bibles, just turn to John chapter 3. Big steps or, or taking steps, it means to adopt a certain course of action in order to achieve something. Over the last few years, we've been hearing about a lot of people who want to take 10,000 steps a day. You might be one of those people. You've got a little Fitbit or whatever they're called or Apple Watch or whatever, something that, that counts. So every time you take a step, your counter counts the number of steps and, um, and your goal is 10,000 steps a day. This actually started in Japan in 1964, when Japan hosted the Summer Olympics, and there was this whole movement amongst the Japanese that said, we need to be fit and active. And so they started this thing called Manpuke, which means 10,000, I'm told, in Japanese. And so they tried to mobilize the entire Japanese population to take 10,000 steps a day in order to be fit and healthy. And uh, they would wear a pedometer, which back in the 60s uh, was on a strap that would go around your middle and would come here somewhere and, and would literally click over every time. So, of course, with technology, it's a whole lot easier than that these days. But that's where it came from, the 10,000 steps. Now, there's nothing magical about taking 10,000 steps. Um, it's, it's not a magic number if you don't reach it or if you do reach it, whatever. The important thing is that, that each and every one of us do something on a regular basis to keep ourselves fit, healthy and active. The fact is that physical exercise is beneficial as long as it's appropriate to your age and to your physical capabilities. Taking steps in life is also valuable as long as they are made with wisdom. And so today, I want to explore some of the big steps that we can take with regards to our spiritual life. And we're going to look at this, uh, this time and next time, through the life of a guy called Nicodemus, who is introduced to us in God's Word for the first time in John chapter 3 and verses 1 to 12. So let's read this. Now, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi... We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said. And do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe 
if I speak of heavenly things. Big step number one is believing in God. As a Jewish leader, Nicodemus was a believer in God. I take it that probably the vast majority of us here today are believers in God. Many of those who are listening to this as a podcast somewhere down the track, it's likely that you are a believer in God. But maybe, just maybe, you don't yet. You're here with us today, just kind of maybe checking us out. Maybe someone dragged you here. Maybe you'd rather be somewhere else, but you find yourself here. Maybe someone sent you this podcast um, as a link. And I encourage you as a church community to take this message. And if you know someone that this might be appropriate for, um, flick them a message or ask them and say, look, I heard this, this message at church on the weekend, and I think that you'd really enjoy it, that you'd really benefit from it. Would it be okay if I sent you the link? And if they say yes, then send it, okay? Ask their permission first. Don't just flick it through and expect them to hear it. Uh, this could be very, very beneficial. Taking a big step to believe in God is a step that I took when I was 19. Uh, some of you know my story, many of you won't. Uh, the whole story is uh, on uh, the website. Uh, you find it by clicking on church, and I think you go down the menu to senior pastors, and then it brings up Christy Buckingham and Rob Buckingham, and that's the order it should be in, because C comes before R. And then if you go through to my page, you will find my testimony at the beginning of the page, okay, so you can watch the whole Rob Buckingham story. But I was an atheist. Through my teenage years, I was not interested in God. I didn't believe in God. And, and I wasn't just disinterested in Christianity and the church. I actually hated Christians. And I hated the church. I could put all sorts of expletives between the words Jesus and Christ. And if you had known me back in those days, you probably would have put me at the top of the list of those who would be least likely to ever become a Christian, let alone a pastor. But th something changed. I was traveling around Australia. I was actually hitchhiking around Australia as a 19-year-old. I'd started in radio when I was 18. I'd worked in a radio station in Western Australia for about seven months, and then a really good mate of mine was traveling around Australia, and I decided I was going to go with him. And so we traveled for a while together, and then he stayed in Alice Springs, and I kept uh, hitchhiking. I got to the northern part of New South Wales, and I was uh, offered a lift by a truckie who was doing his first trip in his brand new Kenworth truck. He had a big roll of paper, you know, those massive rolls of paper. He was uh, taking those uh, from Brisbane down to Sydney. And so he offered me this lift and I got up into the cab of this beautiful new Kenworth and off we went. And it wasn't long into the journey that he told me that he was a born-again Christian. And I'm like, oh no. It's a very long way to Sydney. And he was, you know, I mean, he was a new Christian, so he was really, really excited about his faith and wanted to talk about it for the whole way. So I'm just sitting in the other side of the cab. I was a very heavy smoker back in those days, so I'm puffing away on my Marlboro, and he's talking away all about Jesus and how amazing Jesus is. And I think, oh my goodness, this is going to be a very long trip. But it wasn't a long trip because about two hours into the trip, we were heading around an S-Bend on the Pacific Highway and right in the middle of that S-Bend was a bridge where the road narrowed even more. You couldn't fit two trucks on it and then heading in the opposite direction to us, coming toward us, was um, another truck. 
The truckie realised that he couldn't fit on the bridge at the same time as us and he slammed his brakes on, he was going too fast and his cab jackknifed and, and came over to our side of the road and we hit him head on and then kind of ricocheted off and went down an embankment and finally came to rest in a sugarcane field. Uh, I got out of the truck finally. I found out later that when we got to the bottom of this ditch and, uh, and into the sugarcane field that the cab actually went up um, and we were kind of up and on an angle and the, and the big rolls of paper kept going and went under the cab. If we hadn't flipped up, I would have been, uh, and the truckie would have been crushed to death. Finally got out of the cab and walked up onto the road and saw the mess that had happened to the other truck. Um, the cab had snapped and flipped and both of the guys had been catapulted out onto the road. One was dead and the other guy died about five minutes later. There was nothing that either of us could do to help. We were taken off to hospital. Miraculously, neither of us were terribly seriously injured, which um, everyone was saying, we can't believe that you're okay, um, because it was a pretty full-on accident, as you can imagine. But got out of hospital and went and stayed with this truckie and his wife and family uh, in the western suburbs of Sydney, because I needed time to be able to recover, and, uh, and, and they were just very warm and very hospitable. And it was during my stay with them in Sydney that things started to change. They, they were telling me, particularly the truckie's wife, told me about um, the power of God. She talked to me about being filled with the Spirit and speaking in tongues and all of that. All of this fascinated me. I was very interested in spiritual things. I was very interested in the supernatural. I didn't believe in God, but I believed in the spirit world. And I'd been very uh, into astrology and the occult and all of that kind of stuff, but I'd never seen anything spiritually realistic in the church or amongst my friends who called themselves Christians. I never heard this stuff before. And so it whetted my appetite. After a few weeks, they were heading out to church on a Sunday night, as they did every week. And uh, on this particular weekend, I said to them, is it okay if I come with you? And, and, and they said, yes, sure. Very matter of fact, I'm sure on the inside they were going, yeah, you know. But they'd done the right thing. They were talking to me, but they, they hadn't invited me to go with them. They were waiting for me to ask. And so on this particular Sunday night, I went along. It wasn't an impressive church building. It was a little old hall with a wooden floor and plastic chairs. It would have been maybe 25 people in the congregation. I think one guy with a guitar leading some songs, leading some very interesting songs some very weird songs. I still remember standing there thinking, this is, this is really odd. Uh, if you've been a Christian for a while, you might remember a song, Joy is the flag flown high. Actually, I started to, too high. Joy is the flag flown high from the castle of my heart. You know that one? And then it gets to the king is in residence there and then let it fly in the sky, let the whole world know at which point everyone got their hankies out. And let it fly in the sky, let the whole world know, let the whole world know. It was really weird. I'm thinking, this has got to be the most unsanitary environment to be in. Anyway, the music had a bit of boogie in it, so. So they did that. Then they had a testimony time and they said, right, anyone who uh, wants to say something about what God has done in their life, feel free to stand up. And I thought, oh, I'll do that. So I stood up, not being terribly shy, and I said something that you don't normally hear in a church, particularly a Pentecostal church. I stood and I said, I don't believe in God. 
And there was this, little, this row of little old ladies, and they're just sitting there, and they went, praise the Lord. <laughs> and then I said, but you've heard about the accident that Malcolm and I were involved in, and the doctors and the nurses and the police and everyone has told us that we shouldn't be alive, but we are. And so maybe there was someone looking out for me, at which point I burst into tears, which is so embarrassing. You know, I'm not, I'm not a crying sort of bloke. And, uh, but I sat down and the little ladies were, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> and so I sat there and the pastor got up to preach and he said, I'm going to preach from John 3.16. Don't worry about turning to it because we all know what it says. And I remember sitting there going, I wonder what it says. I don't actually know what he preached that day, but there must have been something attractive to me because at the end of the message, he said, now, if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ, get up out of your seat and walk to the front. And I did. And I was standing at the front and this guy who was an elder in the church, he came up and he said, do you want to give your life to Jesus? And I said, I actually don't know. And he said, well, let's pray. So he prayed for me. And then he said to me, he said, do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I didn't even know there was one, but at this point I was going to have anything that was going. I said, I really don't know. And he said, well, let's pray, because that seemed to be his answer to everything. And, and look, I, I, I don't know, nothing seemed to happen that night. Uh, a couple of nights later I was lying in bed and I was praying and I just said, Lord, I, I didn't really understand what I was doing, but I actually do want to follow you. I, I do want to, I believe in you and I, and I want to follow you. And so at that particular time I walked into church as an atheist and I walked out of church as a believer in and a follower of Jesus Christ. And maybe you're ready to do that too. It was awesome. And like I say, the whole story is online. It was a couple of very big steps and it completely changed my life. And so big step two, which also happened to me that night, was being born again. And Nicodemus, uh, if he was in Australia, if we had an, a Nicodemus in this church because Aussies, we love to abbreviate everything. And so this guy would be called Nico. And so Nico comes to Jesus and says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. And isn't that fascinating? Because Nicodemus comes to Jesus and he pays him this compliment and Jesus completely ignores him. He ignores Nicodemus' compliment and he gets right to the heart of the matter. He looks in the guy's eyes and he says, you must be born again. What did Jesus mean by the term born again? Well, it actually means the same or meant the same back in those days as it means today. Sometimes you hear it used in Australia. Uh, you hear it used a lot in the United States. And it's used to denote a big step that can bring change to a person's life. And so Jesus was communicating something like this. Nico, mate, there's a big step you haven't taken and you need to take it. That's Aussie Jesus. Nicodemus understood Jesus' terminology, but he was confused by it. The term born again was used by the Jews to identify the major stages or the big steps in a person's life. According to the Jews, there were six ways that one could be born again. And we'll put these on the screen for you. Um, if we can look at that, you should have a slide there with, that's it, beautiful. So these are the six ways that the Jews believe someone could be born again. So number one would be a Gentile that was converting 
to Judaism. They were going to become what's known as a, a Jewish proselyte. And at that point, they would have to be circumcised and there would be a ceremony, including baptism, whereby they could um, become a believer in God and um, a follower of Judaism. The second way to be born again was to be crowned king. The third one was the Jewish coming of age, uh, which is the bat mitzvah for a girl at the age of 12 or a bar mitzvah for a boy at the age of 13. Being born again happened when you got married for the Jews in those days. In the first century, it was somewhere between the ages of 16 and 20. The fifth way to be born again was to be ordained as a rabbi at the age of 30. And the sixth way was to become the head of a rabbinical school at the age of 50 to train other rabbis. Just leave that um, up on the screen for a few minutes um, as we go through this. Now, the first two did not apply to Nicodemus. He was already a Jew, so he couldn't be... Um, uh, born again by becoming a Jew. He already was one, and he wasn't going to be king. He wasn't part of a royal line, so he couldn't be born again by being king. But the other four, he'd already experienced. And so at the age of 13, he would have had a bar mitzvah. He would have had the Jewish coming-of-age ceremony. He was a married man. He was a member of the Jewish ruling council, the Jewish Sanhedrin, and as such, you had to be married and so he'd been born again by becoming married. As a member of the Sanhedrin, he was also a rabbi. So at the age of 30, he'd been born again by becoming a rabbi. And Jesus refers to him as Israel's teacher in John 3.10. That indicates that he was actually the head of a rabbinical school, the trainer of other rabbis. And so at the age of 50, he'd been born again, the last way you could be born again. He's now an old man by his own confession. In the first century Roman Empire, someone 50 and over was considered as an old person, remembering that 50% of people died before they hit the age of 10 in the Roman Empire. If you lived to the age of 10, you would probably live to the age of maybe your 40s or your 50s, but someone in their 50s, 60s was considered to be very old. And he, by his own confession, he says, how can someone be born when they are old? How can they begin life again? And so I want you to see this in Nicodemus' mind. He'd been born again four times. There was no other way, according to a Jew, that you could be born again. And here's Jesus coming along to him in this very confusing conversation saying, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. In his mind, there were no more chances. There were no big steps unless he was to begin life again, which is why he says to Jesus, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. The only way in, G in Nicodemus' mind that he could be born again, again, would be by starting the whole birth process and doing life again, which we, of course, know is impossible. And so Jesus responds and says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You, plural, talking to the whole crowd now, should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. And so Jesus is continuing the conversation. Nicodemus is saying, the only way I can be born again is by going back into my mother's womb and starting the natural birth process again. Jesus says, there's a difference between natural birth and spiritual birth. He's trying to get Nicodemus out of his head and into his heart. 
That which is born of water is natural birth, is born of the flesh. When you're born of the flesh, you're born into a natural earthly kingdom. For Jews, natural birth, being Jewish, meant that they had a guaranteed right to the kingdom of God. Jewish law stated, all Israel has a share in the world to come. It's based on a scripture in the Hebrew scriptures, Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 21 that says, and your people, talking about the people of Israel, are all righteous, forever they shall inherit the land. And so being born a Jew was enough. They depended on their heritage. Nicodemus is already thinking, I'm fine, I'm a Jew, I'm a Jewish man, uh, I'm a rabbi, I'm the head of a rabbinical school, I'm, I'm, I'm married, I'm, I, I've been born again four times, I'm okay. And Jesus comes along and says it's not enough. What about us here in Australia? Over 50% of Aussies still identify themselves as Christian. Some of those people think that I'm okay because I was born in Australia which they consider to be a Christian country. I'm okay. Some people think they're okay because they were born into a particular denomination. I've had people tell me over the years, I'm okay, I'm a Catholic. I'm okay, I'm Anglican. I'm okay, I'm Baptist. I'm okay, I'm Pentecostal. Some people think that they were, they're okay because their parents are Christians. But God doesn't have grandchildren. Some people think I'm okay because I've been baptized, I've been christened, I've been confirmed, I've been dedicated. Some people are okay because they go to church. They go to church at Christmas and Easter. But they're okay because they're part of a church. Some people think they're okay because they do the right thing, they follow the golden rule, they keep the Ten Commandments. But according to Jesus, none of these things are enough. You need to be born of the Spirit. Natural birth into the earthly kingdom, spiritual birth to be born into a spiritual kingdom, into the kingdom of God. That is, Jesus is saying here to Nicodemus, as he's saying to us as well, don't rely on your birth, don't rely on your culture, don't rely on your religion to guarantee you a place in the kingdom of God. What makes you a child of God is spiritual birth. And so how can I be born again? How can I take that big step? Well, Jesus tells us in the next few verses. If you put up John chapter 3 and verses 14 to 17, let's look at this. Jesus says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. For God so loved the world. Let's just pause on that for a moment. Is there anyone that God does not love? The world here refers to those who are not yet following God and not yet following God's will for their life through Jesus Christ. And God's attitude toward the world is one of love. And He loves the world so much that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through Him. That's how you're born again. God sent His Son to the world so that we might have, not perish, but have eternal life. The word have there, by the way, is in the present tense. In other words, eternal life is not something that we're waiting for. It's not pie in the sky in the great by and by. There's some steak on the plate while you wait. Thank you. Isn't that good news? 
So as soon as you look to Jesus, you are born again and you have eternal life resident in you right now. All death is, is to be continued, to keep going the other side. Now, let's have a look at what Jesus is talking about here, because he says here, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. He's referring back to a story in Numbers 21, where the people were out of Egypt, out of slavery in Egypt. They were heading to the promised land, but they started grumbling and complaining. They were over the food that God was giving them, manna. First of all, they grumbled because they didn't have enough food, so God gave them food miraculously, and then they started complaining because it was manna again. So they were getting up in the morning and they were having manna pancakes, and then lunchtime, oh, manna waffles, and then there was a manna casserole for dinner, and then the next day, manna burgers, manna muesli, and they were getting really, really, really tired of it, and then they didn't mind their manners. And so in Numbers 21, it tells us that a plague of snakes came and started biting the people. And, uh, and, and so the people started to pray and to cry out. And Moses cried out to God and he said, what should we do? And, uh, and God gave him a strategy. He said, I want you to make a bronze snake and put it on a pole and lift it up. And when the people look to the snake on the pole, anyone that's been bitten by a snake will be healed. What he's actually doing here is tapping into the culture of the day, remembering that the people of Israel had been in um, Egypt for 400 years in slavery, and the Egyptians had this mindset, this kind of um, uh, rumor going around, this myth, if you like, that if someone was bitten by a snake and they looked at an image of a snake, that they would be cured. And so God just taps into that. Of course, we know that doesn't work, naturally speaking. But when God gets involved and Moses was obedient, he lifted this up. Everyone who looked at the snake were healed. And Jesus said, I'm going to be like that. I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to be exalted. Now, partly that's talking about his lifting up on the cross. But beyond that, he was exalted. And everyone who looks to Jesus for salvation. Everyone who looks to Jesus as their Messiah, everyone who looks to Jesus for forgiveness and mercy and grace receives it. That's what he's speaking about here. Everyone who looks to Jesus is saved, is born again. It appears likely that Nicodemus acted on Jesus' words, and we will see what happens next time. I preach big steps to be continued. Amen. And so where are you at right now? Why don't we just bow our heads for a moment and close our eyes. And I want to speak to you as a congregation and I want to speak to those who are listening to this podcast. Where are you at right now? Maybe you say, well, I'm a believer in God. That's wonderful. Maybe you say, well, I look to Jesus and I've been born again. Well, that's wonderful. But maybe, you, maybe you're like me as a 19-year-old and you actually, you need to make a couple of big steps. Maybe for you right now, saying, wow, actually, yeah, I believe in God. I want to believe in God. And you want to take that big step. Maybe for you, it's, I want to look to Jesus. I want to be born again. I want to have this new birth into a spiritual kingdom. I want to know what it is to have all of my mistakes washed clean, everything I've ever done wrong, 
forgiven, cleansed. And so I look to Jesus. If there's anyone in this place right now, you want to make one of those two big steps. So while everyone is bowed in prayer, would you raise your hand? By the raising of the hand, you're indicating to God, you're indicating to me that you want to believe in God, that you want to look to Jesus, that you want to be born again, washed clean, forgiven, given the gift of eternal life that starts now. Anyone at all, raise your hand now. speak to those who are listening to this as a podcast if that's you find a place where you can just quietly pray and ask Jesus to come into your life recognize him as Lord and Savior look to him his presence and his power and his cleansing his forgiveness will come into your life just the same as he did for me when I was 19, just the same as he's done for countless millions of people all around the world, in the past and the present. Surrender your life to Jesus Christ. You'll never look back. You'll never regret it. Heavenly Father, as a group of your people, as a company of your people, we surrender ourselves afresh to you today. We love you. We love that you love us. And I pray, Father, that each and every one of us will not keep this good news to ourselves, but that we will share this good news with others as we have opportunity to do so. That we will see precious people come to know the love that you have for them. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, as I said earlier, you know, I really encourage you. preach this message not just to um, to be a blessing to you personally but to give you a tool that you can share with others uh, my heart's passion in, and I'm sure yours is too is to see people come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior uh, sometimes we don't know how that should happen um, and, and, and you know I don't think God's people should be obnoxious in sharing the gospel I think we should be respectful and kind in fact, in Peter, uh, one of his epistles, he says, um, always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you, but do this with gentleness and respect. So I think as the people of God, we should be gentle and respectful to those who are not ready to believe in God or accept Jesus, um, but always ready to have a spiritual conversation. Uh, one of my best mates is an agnostic, and he and I catch up on a regular basis And I never bring up God. I never bring up church. I never bring up spiritual things. But there's rarely a time when we catch up that he won't bring up something to do with faith. And so we chat about it. And when that part of the conversation is over, we move on and talk about other things. And uh, his mom actually said, because when we we first um, met each other a few years ago, and we really hit it off, and uh, he told his mom, and, he, and she's an atheist, and, uh, and she said, you've got to be careful of the priest. He'll try and convert you. you know? So he told me, and we laughed about it. And I said, well, I said, your mum's so wrong. I said, because we're mates, and I catch up, we catch up because we're mates. 
Um, my goal in life is not to convert you. In fact, I can't convert you. So that would be your decision. And if it happens one day, then wonderful. But if it doesn't, it's, I can't make you, you know. And people need to understand that, that we love them without hooks, without strings. But, but, if, but if while you're praying this week that the Holy Spirit lays someone on your heart and you go, that person would really benefit from hearing this message. As I said earlier, get in touch with them. Say, look, you know, my pastor preached a, a, a great message on the weekend. And while he was preaching it, I was thinking about you. Would you like to watch it? Would you like to have a listen to it? Ask their permission. And if they say yes, send it to them. And then say, once you've listened to it, hey, how about we catch up for a coffee and have a chat? If you want to. And leave it with them. And then in the meantime, pray like crazy. Amen. I want to see people saved. What about you? You know, in the city of Frankston. For so long, you know, the city of Frankston's got a very small number of Pentecostal believers. And for so long, all the Pentecostal believers have done is swapped from church to church. And one church grows, another one shrinks. And then that church shrinks, another one grows. And that's all that takes place. I want to see people saved. I want to see people saved. Amen? Yeah. So use this as a tool. God bless you, church.